Um, yeah, I've been in Ukraine for 12 years next week. Um, so, a um, few things you should know about me. Uh, not only am I big, uh, but I do have a big mouth. Um, and um, I say that only to say I always try to caution people to be Bereans. Be, uh, as it talks about in Acts 17.11, because... I will often say things and people will disagree with me. And my answer is, well, if I'm wrong, show me in Scripture. And then when I guest speak places, sometimes I'll say things and say, well, my pastor said something different. Okay, go to Scripture. Um, and so that's, I'm just going to say that. So if I do say something you disagree with or if Bill has said something different, just go to Scripture and if I'm wrong, just show me. Uh, that is my disclaimer. I... Um, I make mistakes all the time. I had one time, I was at a camp, we got snowed in, I had 30 minutes warning that I was going to be doing two messages, and in the message, the whole time talking, I talked about how John was walking on the water. (laughs) Good, good, half of you understood that that's wrong, because it was Peter. Nobody corrected me, nobody looked like they understood I was making the mistake, that was 18 years ago. And it still keeps me humble saying, oh, I don't want to do that again. Um, so um, I was last night talking w- uh, with my wonderful hosts, and uh, we were talking, uh, I was talking about what it means to be a missionary. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this, I know, but Bill was just saying something about it. You guys have wonderful missionary friends in Ukraine, uh, the Pevelier family. Uh, Oftentimes in our world of everything is missions and missions is in your home, we lose that idea that here God has called people to go away from their home, their culture, their family, their life, their country, and to go to something new and just leave it all behind and trust God. Uh, Half the time they go to a place where they can't work and they're completely dependent upon what God does for them. And... um, pray for the Pebelier family. Uh, they have been a huge blessing to our church. Uh, Ryan's been a huge blessing. Jenny's been a huge blessing. Sage is one of my daughter's best friends now. Um, and then actually we had Rylan first. Uh, and uh, he's the one that got his family connected with me. But pray for them uh, because they need it. And uh, Normally this is the time where a missionary does their own personal plug and I'll just say, and if you guys feel led to it, support them because they're doing God's work. Um, That being said, let's pray for the word. Dear Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. Open our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may your name be upon our lips and may you inhabit the praise of your people today. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I love the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is, is currently what is getting us in trouble in Ukraine. Uh, we have had uh, other churches warn us or warn their people against us because we teach the Word. Uh, some because we don't teach uh, a denominational slant, but because we just give answers from scriptures. Some because uh, we've taught their youth how to study the Bible and now they're asking questions. And we even had a church where we were helping with the teaching and um, they found that I was teaching in the church, building that they shared with the, another church. The other church kicked them out because they were afraid that their people would jump ship. And I know it's not me. 
And I know it's the Word of God because it is alive and it is powerful. Um, and so I'm always excited to teach. Um, last week, uh, Bill was teaching on the parable of the sower uh, in chapter 4 of Mark. And uh, it is a fairly common and well-known passage. It's not John 3.16, which every new believer knows, or judge not from Matthew 7, which it seems even non-believers know. Uh, But it is very well-known. And most people would sum it up and say, what ground is your heart? Where is your heart to receive the word of God? Uh, but I was actually really excited because there was one part of that he didn't cover, and I get to cover it, and this is not normally the type of passage that people say, hey, I'm excited I get to cover it, but uh, I am. Let's, so let's just get into that. Uh, chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, we'll start there. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around them, I'm sorry, I'm using the NIV, um, it translates well when I'm in Ukraine, so... If you're using a different one, just follow along. The twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables, and he told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand the parable? How then will you understand any parable? And oftentimes we look at this passage and our first reaction is, so Jesus didn't want people to come to him? Jesus didn't want people to believe? Because it seems like there's this impasse there where he's saying, I'm trying to obscure everything so that people don't know. And what happened is people tend to use this passage uh, for their own benefit. Either there's this very narrow set of beliefs where they say, unless you follow our beliefs, unless you're at our church, unless you've been baptized by us and have all this that you follow strict guidelines, the truth is hidden from you. Or they'll say, you know, it's part of this culture. You have to be part of this culture to understand it. Uh, other people have, been, have used this passage to exclude people based on their culture, based on their race. And I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. Uh, in, in, in fact, I believe that Scripture is ordered in a certain way on purpose. Oftentimes we'll get to a point and we'll call it, this is a parenthetical chapter. We're like, oh, this is, this is outside the context of the story. But I believe the chapter is placed there because God has a, has a plan within it. And I think he orders it and fits it together. And I find it very interesting that he says this, that they're all in parables because they may be ever seen but never perceived, hearing and never understanding. And then we get to verse 21 at the end of the parable of the sower. And he says to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I was born in 1980. I am 38 years old. Uh, 
And I loved whenever we went to a movie and there, there was a trailer for a new movie. I mean, that was almost as exciting as the movie because you want to see what's happening. And, and they would show you just enough that you always wanted more. You say, this is interesting. What, what is this movie about? And so we fast forward all these years. Now you watch a movie trailer, and I honestly feel like you don't need to see the movie anymore. It's, they, in, in a minute and a half, they have told you the complete story. You know how the story is going to end. The only thing you're thinking is, maybe there'll be some jokes I didn't hear, or some special effects action scenes that are kind of cool. I feel this is in the same context or the same vein of what Jesus is talking about. When I look at that movie trailer, I don't want to see it anymore. I felt like I've seen it. It doesn't entice me. But all of a sudden they just say, here, here's just a little bit. I don't want to tell you too much, but but look at this. What does that do? That kind of draws it out on me of, I want to know more. I want to know what happens. And I believe that's one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. He could very clearly just lay it out and say, Hey guys, here's what it is. And what do people say? Oh, well, that's nice, but I have something else to do. And so Jesus was such a good teacher, and he was such a good communicator, that people wanted to hear him. And in the way that he heard, they would respond. We know in John chapter 6, he said, Hey, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And people start walking away. He's like, what are you saying? These sayings are too hard. And, and Jesus was very careful in the way he said things. And so I believe that when he's talking about in verses 10 through 13, where he's talking about, I'm telling it in parables... Not so that they don't believe, but I think that the opposite is true. He said, if I just laid it all out there and said it exactly as it is, they won't believe. They, they, they need to have something that's going to draw them in and prepare their hearts. What he says is, I want you to seek it out. What does he say here when we look at verse uh, 23? Carefully consider. Carefully consider what you hear, he continued. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He who has an ear, let him hear. In fact, he says that twice in this chapter. He who has an ear, let him hear. His point is not, I'm going to tell it to you in, in stories hidden behind all these walls so that you need secret knowledge to understand it. His point is... If this interests you, you kind of have to take a step. And this is something that we understand all throughout the Gospels where it talks about the Word of God, where it talks about the Kingdom of God. It's that the Gospel can never be received passively. It's not something that happens to us. We can't just sit there and someone preaches at us and I'm saved. There's a response on our part. In fact, in um, Matthew uh, 11, verse 12, uh, in, in a lot of translations it uses the word violence, um, and one of the better translations of the word is force, and that's the word I'm going to use. And, and so uh, it says, from the time of John the Baptist, 
began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and it is by force that people lay hold of it. Some translations will actually say forcefully advancing and say, and by violence they lay hold of it. And because of the word violence, other translations will say, and people throw it aside with violence, um, which is not a very good rendering. Uh, but it's this idea is that the, 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 the gospel and the kingdom of heaven is just coming through with God's power. We see it. The word of God goes into the soil. Things grow up. Even those whose hearts aren't fully prepared, we see a result before they wither and die. And he's saying, if you truly want to lay hold of it, it has to be active. You have to grab onto it. You can't just say, yeah, I'm going to sit in a pew. I'm going to listen. It's going to wash over me and I'm just going to repeat that every day. There's this, this part that we have to say, I want it. And I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables. Because he wanted to give them just enough where they could respond. Because Jesus always had crowds around him. If you remember at the beginning of this chapter, there were so many people. What did it say? He had to get in a boat so that he could be a little bit offshore so that he could speak. And it would be really easy to listen to a dynamic speaker say something absolutely wonderful and nod your head, say, this is great, and then walk away doing nothing. Because I agreed with everything. But then the moment I say, wait, what? I want to lean in a little closer. I'm going to look a little skeptical. I'm going I'm to think more about what was said, that's the moment that all of a sudden the words start to have an impact. Because it's not familiar. Because there's that little bit of confusion. And that's the moment where, like John 6, you have the people say, well, this is hard and we're leaving. And Jesus would turn to his disciples and say, are you guys going to leave too? But their answer to him was, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And we believe that you're the Holy One of God. And so when Jesus spoke, and he, when he spoke hard sayings, and he spoke parables, it was to promote that response, not to hide the gospel, not to keep people from the gospel, not to make us search something secret and hidden, but that we would be drawn in and it would reveal where our hearts was. Because we know that the Pharisees would hear him and they would hear something completely different. They would understand that he's doing miracles. They would understand that God sent him, and yet at the same time they say, let's kill him. Because we want our power. And that's where their concern was. We want power and we want control. And so Jesus spoke in a way that said, I want to have a response from you. I want you to take my words and not just let them pass through you and over you. But I want them to stop at your mind, at your heart, so that there's a reaction, so that it prompts something within you. And when we share the gospel with people, that's something to remember. Uh, there's the saying that says that familiarity breeds contempt. And so often, when we teach the word of God, and when we give people the gospel, we continue saying it in the way it's been said before. We continue saying uh, uh, delivering it in words that they've heard and people just look at you with eyes glazed over and it has no effect. Because they've heard it all before. 
and they're not ready to hear it again. And, and as a missionary, one of the things I often do is when I talk to people and they make all their complaints, I usually just stop and say, yeah, I agree with you. And they just kind of look and say, wait, what? I said, oh, absolutely. Yeah, Christians are probably the most horrible people in the world. That's why Jesus had to save them, but it takes a while, and so even if they're Christians, they remain horrible because there's still that process. And, and it catches them off guard because they're not expecting. They're expecting the normal things I'm going to say. Oh, but Jesus loves you. Oh, but he wants to save you. Oh, but he'll forgive your sins. And those are all great and wonderful things, but they can't hear it because their heart's not prepared. And all we've done is just keep throwing things at them. You know, and that's why Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he said, hey, don't throw pearls before pigs. Don't give what's holy to the dogs. They're going to walk all over whatever you give them. And they're going to tear you apart. And we see this all the time when, when a person comes unprepared to share a gospel with a person and they just have all these arguments and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to respond to that. And the person just kind of tears them apart with their arguments. And, and, and I believe that, that, that God wants us to follow in the example of his son in that type of preparation where when we speak to people, we're able to minister to them in such a way that we can say, this, this is where I need to reach you today. This is where you need to hear today. And there are times where we just say, all I can give you is that God loves you, and we walk away. We have... um, our church in Ukraine is very unique. Um, it's a lot of young teenagers, college students, and refugees from the war zone in the east. Um, and, and I use this guy as an example a lot, although we've had several people in this vein, but he lets me talk about him, so I do it. Um, we have a guy by the name of Andrew. And Andrew, uh, he came to our church to argue with us. He was an avowed atheist, and uh, he would come on our Saturday night study, which is an evangelistic study for the gospel, and we just taught the book of John, and he would come and he would, he would argue with the, the guy that was teaching it, and the guy that was teaching it wouldn't argue it. He'd just say, why don't you come over to my house and we'll play chess? And then, so he'd come to this Thursday Bible study where we had a, a, a professor of, at a seminary who was teaching, and so he would wait, and then they would debate all the, the apologetic arguments. And none of the arguments made any difference. He heard, he responded, he even lost the arguments, but it didn't make a difference. And eventually he came to the Lord. Why? Because he looked around and he said, these people say they believe something and they actually believe it and they live it this way. And I see the examples in their life and I have to admit that there's something true and there's something different. And that was the way that the gospel ministered to them, or to him. They had all the arguments. They had all the right gospel presentations. But the presentation that won him over was their lives. And Jesus lived his perfect life. And he gave his parables. And he caught them in that moment where these guys knew scripture. They grew up learning and memorizing the Torah. They were in temple. They were in the synagogue. The men would take part in the services in the synagogue. They were more biblically literate than, I would say, any church in America, or probably in the world. 
But that was just their culture. And Jesus came in, and this is why he would say, hey, you've heard it said, but I say. Oh, you heard it say don't kill? I say if you've got hate in your heart, or you look at people and you just write them off and say they aren't worthy of God, I said that's murder. Oh, you've heard it say don't commit adultery, but I say if you've got lust in your heart. Because he would approach them that way to kind of stop them in their tracks. So they would have to think. One of the reasons that I say that I don't believe that Jesus was actually keeping people from the gospel is because of Second Peter 3 and 9 where it says, God is not willing, comma, we know, comma. Not just God is not willing. God is not willing, we know, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to come to him. And he's going to use the methods that are best. Even for the thief on the cross, what happened? The guy was crucified. The guy was dying. And that's what God used. And Jesus could have been on the cross at any time. But God the Father put him on the cross at that time so that that man could say, remember me, and finally be reached. That moment where he saw the other thief also dying, mocking him, and he said, don't you understand who this is? Don't you understand he's done nothing wrong? And that was his, his moment of revelation. That's one thing as believers that we always want to do. Yes, our job as believers is we are to seek and save the lost because that is the goal of our Father, to seek and save the lost. When Jesus left in Matthew 28, he said, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them. Evangelism and reaching out and bringing the gospel is not an option. It's not something that we send pastors to do or we send missionaries to do. That is the part of all of us. In Ephesians, when it lays out what some would call the, the fourfold or the fivefold ministry of, of apostle and evangelist and prophet and pastor and teacher. The interesting to note is where all those things are mentioned in Scripture, none of them are mentioned in addresses to pastors. It's not in First and Second Timothy. It's not in Titus. It's written to the, all believers. And what was the ministry of Jesus? He was sent out by God. He was sent with the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was sent as the word of God. He trained his disciples and he taught them. And we fulfill the ministry of Christ on earth. We are sent out by him, Matthew 28. And we have the gospel and we have the word of God. And we are all to be making disciples. And we all fulfill that ministry. And this is something that's, that's non-negotiable. Now, why do I spend so much time on that one point? And... It's because I think that the passage that Bill did last week, I think that it actually um, is revealed throughout the next few chapters. In chapter uh, 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, chapter 8 and part of chapter 9, that, that we see the result of the different types of soil. We see the result of how we receive the word of God. Um, and in fact... Uh, where I said it's not hiding, but he is enticing people to the gospel. In verses 33 and 34 of this chapter, 4, he says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Read that again. He spoke parables as much as they could understand. He spoke them parables so that they 
could hear, not so that they couldn't hear. And he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. And I actually take comfort in that because he spoke the parables to them so they could understand. And then his disciples were kind of dummies like me. And he said, okay, they get it, but let me explain it to you. Um, And so right now I want to focus just a few minutes on the verses in between. Um, I said God fits things together. He orders it in its understanding. And, and I said the next several chapters serve to show uh, the parable of the sower and these next two parables in action. Uh, verse 26, he also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, and though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. This parable serves to reinforce the one from last week. It is not how we work the seed. It is not what we do to make it grow, but how we receive it into our hearts, how we prepare our hearts, how God has prepared our hearts. And that is what the the result is. And then it describes the process of faith. It is not right away. It is a process. How often is it that we see a person, they've come to the Lord, and it's been six months and it's been a year, and what do we say? I would think they would have that taken care of now. We all have our little hobby thing. Wow, they're still using bad language. Wow, they're still smoking. Wow, they're still doing this. And we have our our little things that bug us. And we think, well, God should have taken care of this by now. And yet, what does he say? First the stalk, then the head. Then the kernel. The word of God in our life, as long as we keep receiving it, as long as we allow it into our life, it will work. Because the word of God doesn't return void. But we have to give it time. And as believers, we need to give the people around us time. Because we can be very quick to say, well, they must be backslidden because I haven't seen the results in them that I would like. And here he's just reinforcing that the word of God is going to work. And we, just, and, and we don't know how it happens, he says. It just does. But it also reinforces that time, that, that thing, the idea that it should change everything about us. We start as soil, and in the end, what is, what is reap? It's the entire branch and, and stalk, and everything is reaped. And it's something completely different and completely new. And that's where God says, man, we're a new creation if we're in him. Something, something different has changed. And, and I use this example all the time at my church. And it's when I got married, I was changed completely. I signed the paper. I said yes. And I was completely different. My whole position was different. My whole perspective was different. I was no longer a single man. I was a husband. And yet it felt remarkably the same. She's here with me. But I feel the same. And it is in the last seven years of being married that I have grown into that understanding of what it means to be a husband. And as a father, as I grow into that understanding. And I look back at the beginning years and think, boy, I don't even feel like I was married at all. I was a, <clears throat> I was a dum-dum. 
Uh, but as I grow into it, and as I grow more into it, I understand more of what it means. And this is how the Word of God, and this is how the Gospel works in our life. We receive it. We are changed. And even if it doesn't look like it in the beginning, the time comes and the Gospel begins to sprout and change and renew us, and we grow into what our new reality is. And so we move on. And and he said last week that the the farmer sows the word. This was verse 14 of chapter 4. And um, oftentimes when we look at this passage, we use a word called expositional constancy. Um, Other people will just call it the law of first mentions. Basically, it's this idea that if it's mentioned one way in the scripture, then for the rest of the time, it's always going to mean that. And so there's a passage in Genesis chapter 6 where uh, it speaks of the sons of God and the daughters of men, and there's a whole doctrine of uh, the Nephilim, as they're called, and it's basically angels having relations with women, and that's not the point we're talking about, but what they do is they say, well, everywhere else in Scripture, this word, Benai Elohim, means angel, so this is angel here. And what we do is we take that and we say, so now this is how we're going to interpret scriptures all the time. Unfortunately, Matthew 13.33 talks about the kingdom of God is like leaven put in dough, and it spreads out into everything. And because leaven is often referred to as a bad thing in scripture, then what happens is we have to do these mental gymnastics to try to figure out how is the leaven a bad thing in this context? The answer is, it's not. Many different people wrote the Bible under God's guidance. And sometimes people liked one example over the other. There are many things that it's all the same throughout. But when Jesus gets, the word of God is like leaven, and it gets into everything, and it's spreading into anything, that seems like the gospel is going to spread throughout the world. It doesn't seem like a bad thing to me And my rule of thumb, and I say this to you as believers, if you have to do mental gymnastics to make a passage fit, you're probably not understanding it the way that it was intended. Because our God is a God of order. Um, And oftentimes what we need to do is go back, not to the words of Paul, not to the words, but to the words of Christ, and say, okay, now how does this fit in the words of Christ and what we know about the character and nature of God? And so I say that, Because he says in verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say? The kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such branches that the birds can perch in it. And oftentimes people take this passage and they also turn it into something negative. And they say, because there's birds and look at the, the, the passage before when it talks about birds pecking at the seeds and, and see, obviously he's talking about something bad because there's birds and birds are evil. And so he's, all of a sudden he's talking about the word of God and how it's growing up and we want to find a way to make it bad. I don't believe that's what he's saying. What happens with the gospel in our life? Well, the parable before said it grows. First the stalk, then the head, then the kernel. So what happens with the word of God here? It grows. In fact, it grows from a tiny seed into something large. To what point? Till the birds rest in its shade of its branches. 
This is what the gospel is supposed to do. The gospel in our life has an effect on others. The gospel in our life even brings shades to the birds. The gospel in our life is an extension of the gospel of Jesus himself. And what it does is it's the gospel that other people see. So that through our lives, they too can receive the word of God. They too can receive salvation. They too can receive a relationship with the Lord. Just like that guy Andrew. It wasn't our arguments. It was our life. As the gospel was in our life, that he found shade in our branches and he said, there's something real here. Isn't that a much simpler understanding? The gospel grows in us and even that which we consider evil all of a sudden is affected by the gospel growing in our life. Our life is meant to have an effect on others. If we sit around, if we go to church, if we live our life and we don't get to this point where we say, I haven't talked to anyone. I haven't shared with anyone. We get to this point where like, I don't remember the last time that my life had an effect on someone. We need to re-examine how am I living and how am I being an example and how is my life portraying Christ. Uh, I don't want to take away any passages from Bill, but I just want to give you this really quick synopsis because like I said, the verse, uh, chapter 5 through 8, I really think shows these different soils and the way people respond. In in, in Mark chapter 5, we have the story of the demoniac. He runs at Jesus, what do you want to do with me? He gets thrown into pigs. Everybody loves it because thousands of dying pigs is the sound of God's grace. Um, The thing that we don't know is that in verse 8, we often overlook this. Jesus had already commanded the demon to leave before the guy ran to him. And so when he in verse 9 says, what is your name? It means he's not talking to the demon because he commanded the demon to leave. He's asking the man, what is your name? And the man answers, I am my problems. I am my demons. I am legion. And yet his heart was open and receptive to what God had because he got to the point where he was so fed up that he just... He was ready to receive what Jesus had. He was tired of his life being his problem. And Jesus healed him, and he was in his right mind. He said, Jesus, take me with you. And Jesus said, no. And so then what happened? Jesus said, go tell your story to your family. And then we get all the way to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, verse 32, it says, they crossed again to that region. And when they were there, there were people waiting for them. That, the only person Jesus dealt with in that region, a Gentile region called the Decapolis, was the demon-possessed man. Two chapters later, after telling the man to tell his story, when Jesus crosses, there are people waiting for healing. And then we get to chapter 8, and he hasn't left that region. And he fed 4,000 people. Everybody always wonders why the 5,000 and why the 4,000? Because that 4,000 was still in that Gentile region of the Decapolis. That 4,000 people were the result of this one man telling his story, saying, I met Jesus. My life was full of demons. My life was full of bitterness and anger. And I was the boogeyman that people would tell their kids about when I was cutting myself in the cemetery. And yet, two chapters later, Jesus has healed him. And there are 4,000 people that are around him. That is how the gospel should work in our life. 
We're not always going to have those results of 4,000 people. But people should be around us and say, wow, I want that they have. We should be like his disciples saying, you alone have the words of life and we're going to follow you wherever. And people should look at us and say, wow, they really believe what they say. It's not just cultural religion. It's not just going to church because that's what people say you should do. And we can be like Paul saying, don't just imitate me. Imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. My goal is to point you to Christ. Don't see me. See him. And we see the, the, the results of, the, of the, what it looks like when the different people receive the soil or receive the word into the soil. In chapter 5, he raises the dead girl, heals the woman with the issue of blood who had to reach him, who had to touch him. In chapter 6, he goes to his hometown as a rejected and he sends out the 12 and they get to experience what he experienced in that rejection or acceptance. He feeds the 5,000 in Israel. Herod's response to John giving him the word of God and speaking truth to him is to behead him. And then he speaks to his disciples and he gives them proof as he walks on water. Because again, they're dummies like me. A bunch of teenage guys who are fighting amongst themselves, who are asking their mother to, to ask if they can sit at his right hand, who want to call down fire from heaven because somebody offended them. They're arguing, they're bickering, they've got a guy that's stealing everything. These guys are most likely teenagers. And uh, he walks on water to prove who he is. And then here we have the end of this chapter. What does it say? That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, verse 35, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waters broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, it was completely still, and said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? This is a passage you could spend three weeks on. Um, I just took that away from you, sorry. Um, but here's the thing. They, they left. All the crowds were there, they left. They were probably still in the, ver- in, in the boat from verse 1. And so they're traveling from Capernaum to the Decapolis. And basically, they get scared. God is with them. They've seen him do miracles already. In the first few chapters of Mark, he's done miracles. And they're still having trouble. He's teaching the people and then has to go over and say, I'm going to have to explain to you guys now. Um, which, by the way, if, if you guys don't know, oftentimes we love using a verse that's uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah 28, I, line upon line and precept upon precept. We love it because this is why we teach verse by verse and it's the whole counsel of God. And did you know that God is mocking the children of Israel in that chapter? He says, because you're acting like children, I'm going to treat treat you like a child and teach you line upon line and precept upon precept. Basically says, you guys don't get it, so we're going back to kindergarten and I'm going to teach you. And I feel he was doing this with his disciples. The disciples had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen who he was and his power. And they were still like, eh. 
because here they were. He was with them and they were afraid. And they basically were rebuking him for not doing things in their timing, for making them have discomfort. They were still in that process of receiving the word of God. And I take comfort that, that here are the guys he chose. And they're the ones that are going, you're wrong because you're not doing it the way I want. You're not doing it in the timing I want. I'm scared and you need to do something. And when it says he rebuked the ways and then he said to his disciples, that word carries on. It was he rebuked the waves and then continued with his disciples. He rebuked the waves and then rebuked them and said, what? Why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? Every time we are facing those situations where we begin to panic and we get fearful and we get upset and we cry out to Jesus and say, wake up, Lord, what's happening to me? He takes care of the situation. But he comes back and says, what is your problem? Why are you so fearful? And where is your faith? And that's the point where we look and we say, where am I not letting the word of God into my life? I've received it into my heart. I go to church. I've received it and changed my actions and I'm not sinning. But where am I not trusting him? Where am I wanting my timing? Where am I afraid saying, you need to wake up, God, and not letting him work like that seed, first the stalk, then the head, then the kernel. And that's where we need to repent often is, I thought God was growing in me and there's this part I've been holding back. And so, you know, Jesus even expressed concern to his disciples. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And it wasn't something that he said to all the people. He said he said it to his disciples. And he was talking to them. When I return, are you, are you, is there even going to be faith? And I feel that sometimes he says that to us. And it's not in a judgmental way, but it is in that loving way of you need to remember this is what the Word of God does in you. It grows. It's a process. Your heart has to receive it. And there has to be a result. As other passages will call it, the fruit. And you can see the result in the lives of the people around you and how they respond. In chapter 8, we have the, the, the warns of the Pharisee yeast. And uh, there the are weeds. He heals a blind man. He opens. Uh, he has their eyes open that he is the Messiah. And he tells them about the way of the cross of what they'll have to suffer. And then he shows them himself in glory at the transfiguration in chapter 9. And that's a lot. I'm going to shut the computer off. I'm going to keep going. But my encouragement for you guys today, don't look at it with the same eyes. Don't look at it with that same perspective of I've heard this chapter, I've read this chapter, I know this chapter, I know what's going on. Look at it with new eyes and say, okay, God, show me something I haven't seen before. Put your word in me in a way that I haven't known before and show me those places where I haven't let you into my life. I haven't let you into my fears. I haven't let you into my work. I haven't let you into the way I, I uh, take care of my family or the way I take care of my finances. And when we examine, we usually find that there's, there's that thing that we've been blinded to and we've been neglecting. And that's how we grow. And it's basically our process of saying, oh, I need to do some weeding so that the Word of God can continue to grow. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you for your Word.
It is living. It is powerful. And it's sharp, Lord. It cuts us to the quick. It, it cuts our intellect and our heart and it just it destroys the arguments that we have. Especially when we see it displayed by your people. And we say, I want to argue with this and that, but I see people that just have you on display and I can't argue with that because they have joy and they have life and they're in the midst of suffering and they still turn to you and I'm miserable and I can't argue with what they have. Lord, become that in us and through your Holy Spirit, open our hearts to that and through your word and your gospel, grow that in us. So we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.